you here we're glad that you're here um, we're in a little less light today because the lights are causing the hum apparently so everybody hum mm, yeah that's what it sounds like but we did we wanted we thought we'd we'd opt for decent sound and so you have to peer into the gloom to see me can you see me that's good if you're new here I want to welcome you here I want to also especially welcome my mum here so give her a big hand come on she's gonna She's going to fade away because she doesn't like that, but um, everybody needs their mum. You remember those commercials for deodorant? And, you know, everybody needs their mum. And so I've got my mum here today for the first time and I uh, want to welcome her. If you're new here, we want to welcome you as well. Um, we've got uh, tea and coffee, etc., coming later on. So please stick around. We'd love to get to know you. This morning I want to talk about restoration. And uh, I don't know about you, but I love watching those Renault shows on TV. Do you like those? like the block and that sort of stuff, where they take an old house and they... Uh, do you know these guys? This is the... the whatever, whatever, what are they called? The Thompson Twins? Whatever they are. Um, so these guys, they do a celebrity makeover where they, they get a celebrity to, to make over a house for, for, for one of their friends or, or loved ones. And I just love watching these things come together, don't you? You know, they pull out all the old bits of wood and they stick new bits in. They pull out all the old appliances, put new bits in. Uh, who's, who's ever renovated a house here? Some of you? Many of you? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's always better watching it on TV. It's a lot cheaper. Um, but I love those things because they take something old and they make it new. And I'm reminded that that's what God promises us. Today we're going to spend a little bit of time in the book of Joel. And uh, in the book of Joel, if you've got that there in your Bibles, if you've got our app, you can follow along. All the notes are there as well if you have the Ignite Church app. Um, but we, I want to talk to you about restoration because I love this topic, making something that's old and <coughs> run down and worn out into something new. Joel chapter 2 verse 25 says this, God, God speaking, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten, the swarming locusts, the hopper and the destroyer and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You know, in 1915 there was a plague of locusts that covered Palestine and Syria. The first swarms appeared in about March. These were adult locusts that moved in clouds so thick that they obscured the sun. And then the females immediately began to lay eggs, digging holes in the soil, depositing about 100 eggs in each hole. Well, within a few weeks, the young locusts hatched and they resembled ants. They, they didn't look like a locust. They looked like ants for a while. They had no wings. And within a few days, they began to eat, uh, hopping along the ground like fleas, the hoppers, if you like, devouring any vegetation, the hopper, the cutter. Then they grew wings and flew and things really started to get destroyed. Locusts can travel at tremendous speeds and they're known for their ferocious appetite. I think I said a couple of weeks ago, it's a bit like a teenage boy. They eat everything in sight. Nothing survives when they're there. Anything that's edible is, is dispensed with. If you remember back in Exodus chapter 10, the eighth plague, the locusts just came and wiped everything out. And that's what locusts do. One Old Testament writer, a scholar said this, locusts have been known to devour every green herb, every blade of grass in an area of almost 90 square miles. That, that the ground gave the appearance of having been scorched by fire. So the destruction of locusts represents the losses in life. Some of you have been swarmed in your life by locusts. You can look back and see that. Maybe you were swarmed by sin. Uh, maybe it's left you reeling. Others of you are dealing with, you know, maybe a diagnosis a health diagnosis, death, disappointment, depression, current events gets everybody, I mean everybody's sort of semi-depressed at the moment because if it's not COVID to get depressed about it's um, you know monkeypox or it's the war in Ukraine or high petrol prices or interest rates and, and global warming whatever it is 
It's any wonder that people aren't driven to despair right now because there's so much out there that is just stealing your joy. The devouring of locusts pictures the devastation of slowly eating away at our lives until there is nothing left by despair. And if any, if any of that describes you, let me tell you, you are in the right place this morning because we want to talk about not the death and destruction, we want to talk about the restoration, the good stuff that comes on the end of it. The Hebrew word for restoration used in that passage is the word salam. You might re- recognize that. It's a variation on shalom, you know, which is, which is it's a greeting, but it also means peace. So that word actually, the word salam actually means to pay back, to complete, to make safe and to reward. And it's, it's also, when they have a covenant of peace, that's the word they use. So some of you here have large swathes of your life eaten out by locusts and you need restoration and peace. Maybe, it, maybe it's a sin you've done, maybe a decision you've made, a sickness or a job or a bad relationship. But it's like sometimes when you make a mistake, you get banished to the wilderness for a long, long time. Can anyone relate to that? It's like whole, past, whole spots of your life, whole chunks of your life are missing. But I'm telling you now, God is in the restoration business. That's what he's about. And he restores lives today. Now, according to the world, when they say the word restoration, you know what that means. Like if you've got an old car and you restore it, it makes it as good as it was when it rolled off the assembly line, okay? So they take the old things that are run down, rusted, an old house that's messed up and and dilapidated and broken down, and it returns it to its former state. Things that need restoration, you know, the, the, the reason they're there in the first place is that over time, they've just slipped into this sort of um, uh, neglect and despair. So, if you, you know, think about it. A, a building which was once nice, once new, suddenly becomes old and run down. A car that was once pristine and, 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 and beautiful suddenly becomes old and run down. You know, so it happens to buildings, happens to cars, happens to me, um, you know, where once I looked much better than I did, and now I'm running down. And it happens right throughout life. Restoration though, that's the world's version of restoration is taking it back to what it once was. But God's version of restoration is even better. Listen to this. The Word of God says it differently. While the world says restoration is bringing something back to its original state, the biblical definition of godly restoration goes beyond that. It means taking something to to a state where it is even better than the original. Because when God restores you, it's not to what you once were, it's to what you should have always been. So it goes way beyond just what you once were. It goes to what you should have always been. And that's exciting. And it can be applied to every area of your life, to finances, to your health, your family, your relationships, your walk with God. Anything in life that can break down can be restored if we bring it to the Lord. I'll say that again. Anything in your life that's broken down can be restored if you bring it to the Lord. I want to talk about the wasted years. Pastor Colin Smith describes uh, lost or wasted years, how they come in different varieties. And I like this because it makes a bit of sense to me. There's all kinds of ways we can lose bits of our life uh, to the the locusts. The first one is fruitless years. You've worked hard only to have something fail, leading to massive disappointment. Maybe you had a business, you started it, it failed, it's fruitless years. Maybe painful years, maybe you've lost a loved one. Or you're living with an illness in your body or your mind, and and so they're painful years you seem to have lost. Maybe selfish years. As you reflect on your life, you regret all the time you spent just living for yourself. And I know I look back on my life, and there's bits of my life that I really wasn't living for the Lord, and it's like there's, there's kind of black holes there. 
Uh, loveless years, maybe a relationship rupture with a, or a wayward child has caused pain, or maybe you feel that you've not yet met the person that you would like to meet. All this makes you feel like time is slipping through your fingers, that the locusts have consumed part of your life. Rebellious years, that will be none of us, of course, but some people have rebellious years. Maybe you grew up with many blessings, but you rebelled, which, you, which brought you great guilt and perpetual pain. Your regrets are palpable. Misdirected years, you wonder where you took a wrong turn and you're plagued with statements like, if only I'd have done this, or I wished I could have done that. But the moment has passed, it's gone. You can't go back and redo it. We don't have a rewind button. And so there's whole bits of your life because you took a wrong turn and went the wrong way. Christless years. All the years spent without Christ are like years the locusts have eaten. There's nothing to show for them. If any of these are you, take heart. There is hope today. Today you can ask God to restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. Surrendering to him and asking him to multiply the fruitfulness in your remaining years. And, and I mean, let's face it, there are times when life crawls on top of us. Is that right? Am I the only one? No, there are times when life crawls on top of us. And, and when it happens, we should draw nearer to God. When times are tough, we should draw close to God, but we don't. We often pull away. Hebrews 2 verse 1 says this, Therefore we must pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. See, we don't set out to walk away from God, most of us. We don't abandon our faith. We don't deny the, the Lord. What do we do? We just drift away. We just drift. We just float along, don't we? Am I right? You know, we don't set out to, to, to deny our faith. Just over time, things get colder. They just, they just wane and we just start to drift away. Some of you will be here experiencing that at the moment. I just think of that old song. I was thinking, drift away. I'm thinking, remember? Give me the beat, boys. Free my soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. That's what we do. We get lost in rock and roll, some of us, and we drift away. Some of us. Yes, not all of us. <laughs> We're overwhelmed by cares and concerns. When you start to drift, church attendance, which once was mandatory, now becomes optional. Worship, which, which once was vibrant and exciting, now is tired and, and scattered. We choose TV shows over quiet times. We make decisions without even asking the Lord, without even thinking to ask the Lord. We just make decisions. And the Bible describes this as lukewarm. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says this, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you are either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth, says the Lord. And some of us, you know, you just drift into this state where you're not hot, you're not cold, you're just lukewarm. I don't know if you've ever, lukewarm is, is like, I don't like lukewarm very much. You know, you get a cup of coffee, I want hot. I don't like lukewarm. You ever had a cup of coffee and you go, ugh, I expected that to be hot, it was lukewarm. But if it comes to a nice, you know, cold drink on a hot day, I want it to be cold, I don't want, lukewarm is horrible, you know. So whichever way you slice it, we hate lukewarmness and God does as well. If we are to be restored, we cannot just float along and make decisions and, 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 and just, just, you know, go with the flow all the time. We have to show God we mean business by actually making decisions that count. So I want to share with you a story not many people know from my life. It's about graveyards because I had a bit of a thing with graveyards. Um, and we used to take the youth down different times and we do like um, um, 
uh, where we go, we'd have to sort of go and find information on a graveyard and all that sort of stuff, right? Was it? Scavenger hunt, thank you. Scavenger hunt. We go scavenger hunting in the graveyard. Never know what you'll find. And so this one time, this one time I was there, we had little groups, and I took my group through first, and, and I could see the lights of, of my friend coming with his group of, of, of youth, and I said to my group, you, you go and stand over there, I'll be back in a minute. And so they came down to the deepest, darkest area of the graveyard, where all the weeping willows are, whoo, right? And so I stood behind this big tree, and I thought, this is awesome. And so, and they're there with their lights shining at the graveyard, trying to, you know, and I thought, this is so perfect. So I jumped out from behind the tree and went, nothing happened. They didn't see, they're just looking at the, I thought, this is too good to be true. So at the top of my lungs, I went, don't be scared. And they went, ah! <laughs> True story. And, um, and I just remember my friend saying, not funny, Darren, not funny. But the thing about a graveyard, the thing about, now you know something about me, no one else knows. I'll probably pay for that later, who knows. But the thing about a graveyard is when you look at it, um, it, it's, it's not, and, and I think the death, the death of the Queen, when the, the Queen passed away this week, and, and it's a sad moment, because all of my life and all of your life, she's been our Queen. You know, it's like she's a, you feel a bit more mortal, don't you? Because a, 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 a thing that you always took as a given is gone. I, I'm having trouble saying King Charles. I keep thinking he's a cavalier. You know, I, I don't... <laughs> You know, I, I don't think King Charles, it's, it's going to take some time to get your head around that, right? But, but the thing about the passing of the Queen is it makes us confront death and look at death and say, okay, well, death is, is kind of, you know, it's, it's really, it's a leveller. We all suffer death as, as she has just uh, undergone this week, our, our, our Queen. But if you look at, at, at graveyards, they're sad, miserable places a lot of times. Why? Partly because of the dead who lie there. But I'll tell you what the saddest thing about a graveyard the saddest thing is all the lost destinies and dreams that that represents. All the people who died too soon because they never got their lives restored. They never moved on to what God had for them. They were never made, they never reached their destiny. What you've got there buried along with all the bodies is dreams and hopes and destinies right there in that place. We don't want to live our lives with regret and we don't want to die with our destinies and dreams unfulfilled. Are you with me? So let me get back to the locusts, the not-so-wonderful world of locusts. You see, Satan has orchestrated a world system designed to rob you of your blessings. That's what the world system is about. Don't think they're on your side. They're not. The system is designed to rob you of your blessings because locusts gobble up relationships. The world tells us if you have a conflict with someone, you fight for your rights. But if you do that, you lose the relationship and the, the years with that person are lost to the locusts. The world says, you've been wronged. You know, don't get forgiven, get even. But the Bible says forgive. You see, and we can restore the years the locusts have eaten by forgiving. In Ephesians 4, it says, it says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to everyone, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, locusts gobble up our joy because Satan has designed a world that promotes and rewards things that God doesn't. Poverty mentality is part of our society. We reward people for poverty. And, we give them, and that's not a bad thing, 
but if it controls your life, it is a bad thing. The world wants, wants to place you into a system where you are constantly in debt for the rest of your life, so you never know joy because you're constantly in debt. We all know what we're talking about here. You know, buy now, pay later. That's not God's way, right? That's Satan's way. Just do it now. We'll sort it out later on. But Satan does not have your best interests at heart. He is a thief and a liar and a destroyer. And we can lose so many years following the wrong path because we've, we've fallen into that and believe that. You know, we know the years the locusts have eaten and we know that we need restoration. But still, you'll sit here today saying, well, he's not talking to me because my life is not so bad. I am talking to you because wherever your life is at, maybe God has something greater for you. Maybe God has a plan and a purpose for your life that at the moment you're, you're, just, you're just reaping the years of, that the locusts have eaten. We want to be people who are prosperous in every way, even as our soul prospers, don't we? Right? But to do that, we have to deal with this problem of restoration. Now, it's interesting the way God deals with people and the way he dealt with these people back in the book of Joel. Some of you may be paralyzed by regret for the years that you've wasted in your life. And it's not uncommon, listen to this, it's not uncommon for people to think it's too late or I've been away too long or I've done too many bad things that God won't restore me. That's not true. God wants to restore you if you'll come to him this morning. God wants to restore to you the years the locusts have eaten, if you come to him this morning. Because he is about restoration. We don't want, you know, but we sit here saying, well, I don't want others to see me respond. You know, this is a personal moment with God. But I want to encourage you. God's going to speak to our hearts this morning and some of us need to restore the years the locusts have eaten. And while the people's specific sin is not named by the book of Joel, a careful reading of the book will show you they've slipped into a state of complacency and apathy about the things of God. They had just drifted into apathy and they'd let their guard down. That's, that was it. There was no one big sin. They just floated along into apathy. And as a result, God was working to get their attention in four distinct ways. Uh, he's actually wooing us in these ways. He's loving us because he wants us to return to him. But there were four ways, devastating ways, that God judges in the book of Joel. The first one is devastation. If you look in Joel chapter 1, verse 4, it says this, what the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping lo- locust has eaten. What the hopping locust has left, the destroying locust has eaten. So the cutting locust eats the top of the plants. The swarming locust eats the stalks. The hopping locust eats the stubs. And the destroying locust eats the roots. There is nothing left at the end of all that. And that's our lot if we continue to just, just have these big pieces of our life that we don't give to God and we don't surrender to Him, that is what happens. The second thing is destruction. We see the destructive power of locusts in Joel chapter 1, verse 7. It says this, It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Made their, uh, their branches are made white. So when plants have been stripped white, even to the roots, The locusts are not only, listen to this, they're not only destroying your crop now, they are destroying future crops. It's not a once-off thing. And how many of you know that your sin, if you persist with it, does not just destroy you now and those around you now, but it can persist for generations to come. It really can. The third thing is desolation in Joel 1.10 says this, the fields are destroyed, the ground mourns because the grain is destroyed, the wine dries up, the oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil, wail, 
O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vines dry up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranates, palms, apples, all the trees are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of man. Sin is so destructive in our lives, it dries up blessings, it dries up futures and destinies, and it dries up joy, doesn't it? I don't know if you've ever sort of, um, you know, watched a TV show where they've got these very rich, famous, desirable people. I don't know what they're called, lifestyles of the whatevers. Um, but you look at the way they behave and these people are not happy. They've got everything you want, would want in your life and they're not happy. Why? Because their lives are being destroyed by sin. And they're so selfish and so sinful that they're just utterly miserable. You know, it's utter de des desolation Locusts can take a fertile valley and make it look like the surface of the moon, devoid of life and joy. In Joel 2 uh, 3, it says, Fire devours before them, behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness and nothing escapes them. This is a serious thing, and many of us have lived in or about this place for years. The fourth thing is discipline. Because of how God's people were living, God disciplined them by sending locusts and a promised judgment. In verse 15 it says this, in Joel 1, 15, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. See, God may not cause tragedy, but he uses it in our lives to get our attention and bring us back to God. This is the testimony of my life. I've had some really great times in life where I've drifted away from the Lord. And when things got bad, when things got really difficult, when I was really scared or worried about the future, I got on my knees and came back to the Lord because I realized that I needed to be right with Him. And sometimes it takes a little bit of tough love, if you like. It takes a little bit of hardship for us to turn back to Him. Now, we as individuals and our nation as a whole need to hear the heart of God here. He's not here to destroy you. He's here to restore you. But sometimes he will let you reap what you've sown and the consequences of what you've done and the decisions you've made. He'll let you reap those because he loves you and he wants that to be a springboard back to being restored to him. In the book of Joel, as now, the day of the Lord is approaching and we need to listen to what God is saying here. Uh, there's a, a verse I found in Isaiah verse, uh, chapter 5. This describes our nation today, our people. Listen to this. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Does that not sum up our, our current society? I tell you, folks, if God doesn't punish Australia, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah because we are in it up to our necks. And decisions we have made can see whole pieces of history wiped out for our nation as the locust does. It can happen to a nation. It can happen to us as individuals. But let me... That's the bad news. Let me give you the good news. The heart of God is to restore. So with all this talk of sin and locusts and destruction, please understand God's heart is to restore. He is not out to destroy you. He, that's the devil's brief. His brief is to restore you and to love you. And he's not even out to punish you. I want to make this clear. If you've had years of your life that you've wasted, years of your life that has slipped through your fingers, years the locusts have eaten, God is not out to punish you for those. He's out to restore you. We think, oh, I've done this terrible evil. God's going to punish me 
for a decision I made or a relationship I had or a thing I did in the past. But God is not out to punish you. He's out to restore you. We've got to get this punishment thing out of our head. You've punished yourself probably enough for it. God's not out to hurt you. He wants to restore you. So I, I went through the Bible and found some passages using the word restore. Have a listen to some of these because this is the heart of God. The locust is the enemy, but this is the heart of God. Psalm 23, he restores my soul. Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Jeremiah 30, for I will restore health to you. Job 40, uh, 42 verse 10, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. Acts 3.20, until the time for re the restoring of all things. 1 Peter 5.10, after, uh, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. The God himself will restore. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 9, for we are glad when we are weak and you are strong, your restoration is what we pray for. See, restoration is a theme that runs right through the Bible. But somehow we don't believe God can do it. But I believe God's heart is for restoration. Even if it takes years, even if it takes pain and desolation to get you to that point. And that's our decision. You know, the suffering that we do, he doesn't have to punish us a lot of times because the, we reap what we sow. You cannot live your own life and then blame God for where it goes wrong. The verse in, in Proverbs 19 verse 3. That, that, that a fool does all these things and his heart rages against God. And how many of you know you, do, you make a bad decision, you do something crazy, and then when it all goes pear-shaped, you say, God, why did you let this happen? He didn't even do it. You did it. And we've got to stop blaming others, particularly God, for what's gone on in our life, accept responsibility and bring it to him. Because if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So let's have a look at God's heart for restoration from the book of Joel. And I'll finish up with this. The first one is a plan for restoration. We love that verse, don't we? Jeremiah 29 verse 11. I've got it memorized. I hope you do too. It's, the, it's a cool verse. It says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. How good is that? given to the people in exile, when everything was bad. And God says, I have a plan for you. It's a plan to prosper you and to, and to bless you and to restore you. But we forget that there are other verses. Let me read on from that verse. Have a listen to the heart of God here. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes. And gather you from all the nations where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God was reaching out to restore them. When it says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, the plans are to restore you. But if you keep running away and keep disobeying him, he can't restore you. Because you're busy doing your own thing. It takes repentance. As, as he says, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The second thing I want you to note is the plea for restoration. In order to be restored, it's essential that we respond to God's plea. So in Joel 2.12, it says this, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning, and rend your garments, not, your hearts rather, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, and he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. So what's that about? What's the rending bit? 
He's saying, rend your heart, not your garments. Well, back in those days, if you were upset about something, you would tear your garments apart as a sign that you were upset. You know, these days we do it, you know, we don't, the only time we do it, you see Superman do that, out comes the big S. But that doesn't happen back then. They, just, they tear their garments apart as a sign that they are upset. And God's saying, don't tear your garments, tear your heart. Don't give me the outward sign. Show me the inward sign. Show me that you are actually repentant. And when you do, I will restore you, says the Lord. So I think, you know, sometimes we, we, we have something in our hearts. We say, well, we want to go to church and we feel it drawing to church and our life is maybe a bit of a mess or there's whole swathes of our life that the locusts have eaten. But it's not going to church. It's not taking communion. It's not singing the songs. They're outward signs. What this is, is the inward sign. You have to repent in your heart. And when you do that, God's promise is he will restore you. But it's no good doing the outward thing. Jesus described the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs. Nice and white on the outside, but inside full of dead men's bones. How many people sitting in church this morning somewhere around the world does that describe? They look good. They, they come in their nice clothes and they, they have a nice big Bible and stuff. But inside they're not repentant. God is not interested in your outside. He wants the repentance of your heart. And then all of these promises apply. The third thing is the promise of restoration. In the middle of devastation, destruction, desolation and discipline, God longs to deliver his people. And it's not too late. I don't care who you are. This morning it is not too late for you. You might feel hopeless, uh, but I, I guarantee you, you are not beyond the touch of his hand this morning. He will take pity, provide, he, he will protect his people yet again. And some of you here desperately need to hear this promise. Joel 2 verse 24, the threshing floors shall be full of grain and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. That's his promise. And remember, restoration is not making you what you once were. It is making you what you should have been all along. It's exciting. And then he says this, You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people will never again be put to shame. If you're carrying shame this morning about something in your past, I'm telling you, if you bring that to the Lord this morning, you will never again be put to shame. Because as you draw near to him, he will restore you. The promise to the people was that the, the threshing floors that had been barren for years will become full of grain. And the word full means to complete what was empty, to finish to capacity. See, their vats shall overflow with wine and oil. The idea is containers that, that just burst with abundance. God's people went from scarcity to satisfaction to supersize to overflowing. I don't know if you've ever, ever had one of those supersized, um, you know, soft drink things. Sludgies, different. I remember the state. We have sizes here, but in the US they've got like a supersize which is bigger than everything else. And it's like, I don't know, it's just big. And, um, but God goes even beyond supersizing. He goes to overflowing. Way beyond. God promises to reverse the devastation caused by locusts. Now the last part of, of verse 25 refers to locusts as, as being a great army. That, and I quote from verse 25, my great army which I send among you. And you need to understand, 
Psalm 105 says this, He spoke and the locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in their land and ate up the fruit of the ground. You need to understand that God is God and his ways are higher than ours. And while he may not send the devastation, he can use that to build restoration in your life. And some of us here are way too quick to judge what God should and shouldn't do. I think we should just let him be God and we should just obey him, don't you? Instead of passing comment, oh God, you should have done this for me. Well, pretty sure he's God and you're not. Charles Spurgeon said this, and I love this quote from from Spurgeon. God alone can do for you what seems impossible. And here is the promise of his grace. I will repay the years the swarming locust ate by giving to his repentant people larger harvests than the land could naturally yield. God could give back to them, as it were, all that they would have had if the locusts had never come. See, he can give you a more prosperous harvest when you come back to him than what you have ever had. Then he goes, Spurgeon goes on to say this, you cannot have your time back, but there is a strange and wonderful way in which God can give back to you the wasted blessings, the unripened fruits of years over which you mourned. The fruits of wasted years may yet be yours. Isn't that beautiful? God can restore what's been ruined. The fourth thing is the prize of restoration. Not only does God love to restore, he also loves to give prizes. Joel 2, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never again be put to shame. So we said before, he gives super abundance. We can praise him and there are no regrets. How many of you look back on parts of your life with great shame and you think, man, I really made a mistake or I did, you know, did something wrong here and you sort of you felt the fruit and the effects of that for years and it's shameful. But God can restore, God can take away that shame. Instead of living with regret, you can be restored. Instead of focusing all, all on your problems, God gives you his peace. Instead of being gutted by guilt, he gives you his grace. Instead of being paralyzed by shame, you are propelled into future blessings as God erases all the shameful stains caused by sin. Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when you come to Christ, not only does he restore those years, but he takes away the shame of them. You won't feel that anymore. And then just a few verses later, uh, the, the ultimate prize that he gives us, I guess, is Joel 2.28, it says this, And it shall come to pass afterwards, I will pour out my, fl- my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. I'm still praying for visions, not dream, because I want to stay young. But the point is, he pours out his spirit on us. A few verses later, it says, And it shall come to pass, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, all of these great prizes and blessings come when he restores us. So this is a day of restoration. We've seen today that despite wasted years of hurt and pain, despite destruction and devastation of locusts and sin in our lives, God is very willing to restore unto us the joy of our salvation. As Peter said, 1 Peter 5, And after all you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. And it all starts with a decision. I know that sounds like the Optus ad. You know, have you seen the Optus ad? And, and the slogan is, it all starts with a yes. But it's true. It all starts with a decision to say, yes, Lord. I can't restore you in, in, in any way, but God can restore to you the years the locusts have eaten.
And it often doesn't happen in one go. But it all starts with a yes. It all starts with you saying, yes, Lord, I commit to walk with you. I commit to be obedient to you. If you have years of your life that you feel have been wasted, if you have regrets, if you have suffered for decisions you've made, then this is for you. This morning, his arms are outstretched to you and he's saying, come. He's saying, I will restore those years to you. Would you bow your heads and pray? The Bible says, search me, O God, and know my heart. So I want you to search your heart right now. Allow his spirit to shine his light into you. What is God saying to you this morning? Have you made decisions in the past that you still regret, that you still feel shame over, that, you, that still bring hurt and pain to you? If this is you, I've got great news. God wants to restore you. He wants to make you into someone who is so incredible, not what you once were, but what you should have been all along. Some of you carry shame for things you've done. You don't need to carry it anymore. You can lay it at the foot of the cross today and have him restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. Some of you here have made decisions. You're still living with the consequences of poor decisions. But I tell you, today God can restore the years the locusts have eaten. He doesn't give you time again. He doesn't take it away. He restores them. So you need to listen to him right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I want you to open your heart and let the Lord restore to you the years the locusts have eaten, be they few or many, be they ancient history or last week. God can restore to you the joy of your salvation, the blessing of going forward. So just pray this prayer with me and let's together ask God to restore our lives. Say this, say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the times I've turned away from you. But right now, Lord, I turn away from my sin and I make you Lord of my life again. And I offer to you the years the broken years, the lost years, the wasted years. Lord, I ask that you would restore them. Lord, I ask that you would make them as if they never happened. Restore the lost years, Lord, and restore the joy of my salvation. Just as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I know the Lord's speaking to many people this morning. If that's you, I just want you to shoot your hand up where you are just very quickly. Don't be afraid here. We've got to get this right going forward. Just shoot your hand up. There's more. Come on. Be honest. God's speaking to many of us about restoring these years. Good. Just put your hand down. Is there anyone else? Just very quickly before we finish up. Okay, let's stand together. This song is the, kind of the song of the moment here, this, the goodness of God. Because, and I love the line that says, all my life you've been faithful. You've been so, so good. See, God is faithful when we are not. And we're going to sing this to finish up. But I want to encourage you, if you raise your hand, even if you didn't, but God's been speaking to you, come down the front and we'll pray with you. It's, it's good to restore the years with others. It's good to have others stand with you. So as we sing, I'm going to invite you to the front. 
And there are many of you, so don't be frightened here. Just come to the front and we'll get our prayer team out here as well to pray for you. God is restoring lives here this morning, right here. God is taking broken vessels and making them whole. God is, is pouring goodness and mercy into people this morning. Just come right to the front. Right to the front, guys. Let's sing together and let's pray. Keep coming, folks. Right down the front. Right down the front. Come on. Sing it with all your heart. All my life, all my life you've been faithful. Come on. All my life you have been faithful. 